Good morning. My name is Dustin and I'm on staff here at South Point. I get the privilege of working with our students and our worship team. And I just want to tell you a little bit about who we are as a church. Uh, if you are new with us, are newer, we exist because we want everyone to experience God's unconditional love. And so everything we do as a church from singing songs to these events that we're doing to the preaching, all of it is in an effort for everyone to experience God's unconditional love because we believe that God is for everyone and we believe that he's trying to connect with each and every one of us. And so that's what we're doing right now. Now with that in mind, today I want to talk to you about someone. Now this someone, their life was foretold, meaning it was predicted in the Old Testament. This person's life was predicted. There are literally portions of the first half of the Bible committed to talking about how this person would come into the world. Now, angels and miracles accompanied the birth of this person. When this person grew up, he would launch a ministry in Israel that would influence thousands of people and also infuriate all of the religious leaders of the time. Eventually, his influence would grow too powerful and the religious leaders would come to the decision that this person had to die and they would go on to have him killed. Now, before this person was born, God instructed his parents on what to name him and his name began with a J, and his name was? Jesus. I heard the right answer some there. It's not Jesus. It's actually John the Baptist. But it sure sounds a lot like Jesus. Now, this morning we're going to be talking about Jesus, obviously. We're going to stay that course, but we're going to do it looking through the perspective of John the Baptist. And so before we do that, let's pray together. Uh, God, we just thank you for an opportunity to just share a few moments together. God, I pray that this is not just a talk, this is not just a simple conversation, but that we're actually hearing from you, Jesus. We believe that you have the words of life. We believe that only good things can be found when we chase after you, and so we just pray that we can meet with you in this place, that our hearts are open, and that you speak directly to us in such a way that we walk out of this place different than we came in. You are good, and we love you. We praise your name. Amen. Now, uh, last week, if you were with us, Jamie did an awesome job kicking off our new series that we're in called The Light of Christmas. And Jamie gave this great introduction to the Gospel of John, which we've been reading this entire year. This entire year we've spent reading the Gospel of John, and now for this last series we're going all the way back to the beginning, John chapter 1. And Jamie did a great job unpacking it. Um, really, John chapter 1 is this amazing picture where John declares who Jesus is that he is light and he is life and he is one with God and he is God. And really the entire first section of John chapter 1 is this introduction, the setting the stage about who Jesus is and what he came to do. But right in the middle of all this poetic and beautiful language about Jesus and who he is, we get these three seemingly random verses about John the Baptist. JTB, we'll call him. Now, first, a few things before we get into the scripture, a few things about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, he was a Baptist, but not in the sense that someone may be a Baptist today. Like, he's not like a Baptist the way you would be like a, a Pentecostal or a Methodist. It has nothing to do with church denomination or affiliation. He's called John the Baptist because he baptized people, if that wasn't obvious enough. And now, this man, John the Baptist, he grew up in the desert on his own. He was by himself, and he wore clothes made from camel hair, and he ate 
locusts and honey, like bugs, locusts and honey. And, and before John came onto the scene, there was this period of time of about 400 years where there were no prophecies at all. It was kind of radio silence from God, and they were waiting on any news about the Messiah. And then after 400 years, John emerges from the wilderness and, and is described in Scripture as he was a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the coming Messiah. Now, John the Baptist was a wild dude. And John, the disciple, decides to add a few lines about JTB right in the middle of his Jesus speech. And he says this. He says this about John the Baptist. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, about Jesus that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. One more time, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Isn't it strange that John the disciple who wrote this book would deviate away from his speech about Jesus to mention John the Baptist. Isn't that weird? Isn't it also weird that if you read through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are just four biographies written about Jesus' life, that each of these writers tend to focus and emphasize different things. These are four different perspectives and four different approaches to telling Jesus' story. Actually, only two of them, Matthew and Luke, even talk about the birth of Jesus. But one thing that all four of them talk about is the ministry of John the Baptist. And so he must be significant. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus literally says, among those born of women, meaning every human ever, among all humans there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says that. Among all humans there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Do you understand the weight of this for Jesus to acknowledge first that, yeah, I'm the greatest because I'm, I'm God, but aside from me, when it comes to just human beings, there is no one greater than John the Baptist, meaning John the Baptist is greater than Moses, who helped emancipate the entire nation of Israel out of slavery. He's also greater than King David, who is the greatest ruler in the history of Israel. John the Baptist is greater than all of the prophets who would predict that Jesus would come, and he's also greater than all of the disciples, greater than Paul who helped launch the church. He's greater than every single one of them, Jesus says. Well, that should carry some weight. It should also make us ask, why does Jesus call John the Baptist great? Because if we can begin to understand why Jesus calls John the Baptist great, then I believe we can begin to understand how Jesus defines greatness. And wouldn't it be valuable to understand how God defines greatness? You know, because the disciples get it, that's why they all include John the Baptist in their book. And John the disciple, he obviously doesn't think it's weird to plop these three verses about JTB in the middle of his Jesus speech because John the Baptist was great. Aside from Jesus, he was the greatest human to ever do it. You could say John the Baptist was the goat, the greatest of all time. Sorry, Tom Brady. You bum. Sorry, Michael Jordan, you're cool, but you're still not the greatest. John the Baptist embodies human greatness in the eyes of God. Why? 
let's look at this practically. What's the main thing that John the Baptist is known for? Well, check this out. Even medieval art can paint that picture for us, pun intended. Medieval art can tell us what John the Baptist is known for. And so I just want to look at a couple paintings and we'll see if we can decipher what John the Baptist is known for looking at this medieval art. Now, this is the first one. This man in the robe, that's John the Baptist. And you see what he's doing? He's pointing to a person. You know who he's pointing to? Jesus. Let's look at another one. There's John the Baptist in that red robe. You can see he's pointing at a person. You know who he's pointing at? He's pointing at Jesus. Maybe it's a coincidence. Let's look at one more. There's John the Baptist. He's in a white robe this time holding a staff, and he's doing what? He's pointing at Jesus. Oh, what the heck. Let's look at one more. There's John the Baptist again, this time in a, you know, I don't know what color you want to call that. We'll call it peach. And he's doing what? He's pointing at Jesus. And so if you didn't know what John the Baptist was known for, now you do. John the Baptist is known for pointing at Jesus. His entire life, up until his death, was spent pointing other people towards Jesus. Everything this man did was for the purpose of guiding other people to come to know Jesus. So much so, I think that calling him John the Baptist isn't nearly as accurate as if we called him John the witness. Now, in order to fully appreciate John and what he did and how he lived his life, you have to know a little bit of context about how kings functioned in the ancient world. As you see, a king would never just show up unannounced, right? A king's not just going to pop into town and knock on the door like, hey, guess who? No, a king, when he was planning on making an arrival, he would send out his servants ahead of time to prepare the way. When a king was planning on making an arrival, he would send out his servants ahead of time to prepare the way, and his servants would go around letting everyone know, hey, the king is coming. The king is coming. Hey, you need to get ready because the king is going to be here soon. And the servant would also go around because the ancient roads were all beat up, and so they'd clear off rocks and they'd fill in holes and they'd smooth out the road to prepare the way for the king. And then when the king would show up on the horizon almost to town, The servant with everything in their being would run around telling everyone, hey, everyone, the king is here. The king is here. Prepare yourselves. Get ready to meet your king. And you see, Jesus is the king of kings. He is God, and so the way had to be prepared, and the bulk of that responsibility fell on John the Baptist, and he took this extremely seriously. He becomes this prolific speaker, pointing everyone at the truth of the coming Messiah, this wild person. By the time that Jesus arrives on the scene, John the Baptist, his platform has grown so much, he has thousands of people following him. Thousands of people hanging on his every word. And then as soon as Jesus arrives, John the Baptist begins to fade away. Because even the best servants understand that in no way can the attention be on me. It has to be on the king. And so John the Baptist is also known for saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. Talking about Jesus. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. Now, if I can be fully transparent with you guys, John the Baptist, man, he's someone that I really look up to, like really look up to, and I would love to be the kind of person who just points at Jesus with everything I do 
But the more I read about John the Baptist's life and how he so unashamedly and unrelentlessly just pointed to Jesus with everything, the more I start to recognize why Jesus calls him the greatest human because to live like that is so hard. Like honestly, at least for me, I don't know if you can relate, but for me it's like no matter how much I try, sometimes I just can't get out of my own way. And this idea that Jesus must increase and I must decrease, man, that sounds great on paper. I would love for that to be the case, but it is so hard for me to decrease. It's so hard for me to not care what anyone thinks of me. Even up here, preaching, just being honest, I mean, I have this innate desire to just completely distance myself from what you think of me. I would love to just be able to say whatever God wants me to say and not care about what you think about it and not care about what you think about me, but I find myself caring what you think about me. And not always just because I care about what you think about Jesus, but there is actually a part of me that cares about what you think about me because like most human beings, I deal with feelings of insecurity, battling thoughts of not feeling good enough, and so every time I step up here, I'm, I'm fighting this desire, this feeling that like I need to try to prove myself, to like prove that I can be a pastor or to do something. But I think when you don't feel good enough, it plants within you this desire to try to make up for the things that you lack. I believe insecurity leads to overcompensation. And I find myself battling against that. And so maybe you can relate. Or maybe you're just like, maybe this guy shouldn't be a pastor. I don't know. <laughs> we'll never know. But either way, I feel better just letting you know that I am not some perfect or even good person, that in even being a pastor, even working at the church, that I'm also fighting against myself all the time. That my flesh, it's always trying to get me to increase. It's always trying to get me to be better, to try to do something, to try to be somebody. And then the Holy Spirit within me is saying, no, you've got to decrease in favor of Jesus. And these two worlds fighting all the time. And so I say all that to let you know that if you're sitting in that seat and you're hearing about John the Baptist, this prolific preacher who points to Jesus with everything he does like a wild person, and you're feeling like, man, that sounds amazing, but I could never do that. If, like me, you're wishing that you could get out of your own way even just a little bit to try to be that kind of witness, well, I get it. And so I want to look a little bit later in John's story because although John is great, he's not perfect. And I think sometimes we need to see our heroes get humbled. We need to see our heroes fail to remind us that no one is perfect except for Jesus. And so let's fast forward a little bit in John's story because if you're like me, you will likely have more in common with John the Baptist's shortcomings than a success. And so if you didn't know, John the Baptist was arrested. John the Baptist did hard time. He was arrested at this time during his ministry. This guy named Herod is the ruler in Galilee. Now this Herod is the son of King Herod who tried to have Jesus killed when he was a baby. This is that king's son. And this Herod is just as corrupt and evil as his father and he has John the Baptist arrested, and, and this is how it plays out. It says this. It says, For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, 
it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. So John the Baptist gets arrested because this ruler is having an affair with his brother's wife, and John the Baptist says, hey, you can't do that. That's against the law. And so apparently telling a ruler that they're breaking the law is you breaking the law. I don't know how that works. But John finds himself in prison. But no big deal, right? This is John the Baptist. This is JTB. This guy's rock solid. He's fiery. He's fearless. But while John the Baptist is in prison, he sends his messengers to Jesus, and he asks this question that just seems completely out of character for him. This question that John the Baptist asked Jesus, when you know John the Baptist, it just makes no sense for him to ask Jesus something like this. This is the question that he asked Jesus. It says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John asked Jesus, are you the one who is to come Or shall we look for another? Which reveals the second truth about John the Baptist, and that's John the Baptist doubted Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, Jesus? Or should we look for another? John, what are you talking about? John, Weren't you just saying not long ago when you saw Jesus coming over the horizon? Wasn't it you that said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Wasn't that you, John? Like a crazy person proclaiming the Messiah, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, that was you. John, wasn't it your mother who said you leapt for joy in her womb when Mary told her about being pregnant with Jesus? Literally, when Mary tells John the Baptist's pregnant mother about the news of Jesus, this is what John's mother says. It says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. That baby was you, John. That was you. You knew who John was before you were even born. You spent your entire life proclaiming Jesus' arrival like this crazy person and you were so sure and you just unashamedly pointed at Jesus. I even saw the pictures. It's documented. But now John's in prison and he's sending his messengers to ask if Jesus really is who he says he is. Where's the confidence, John? Where's the fire? What happened to you? And you see, I think sitting in a filthy prison, I don't think that surprised John. You know, prophets who call out rulers for doing sinful things, typically that doesn't go well for them. They have a bad history. And John's not an exception, and so John gets locked up, and I don't think he's surprised by that. I actually think John probably saw that coming. What I think John didn't see coming was being tormented by such oppressive doubts and fears. By getting attacked by his own mind. 
You know, since birth, John had not doubted that Jesus was the Christ, but now, stuck alone in this putrid cell, in this situation, he's assaulted by these horrible and accusing thoughts and doubts. You know, what if, what if he'd been wrong? You know, there have been a lot of false prophets in Israel. What if Jesus was just one of them? What made him so sure Jesus was the Messiah? I mean, what if he was wrong? What if he led thousands of people astray? There have been false messiahs. What if Jesus was just one of them? You know, so far, Jesus' ministry, it didn't look exactly the way people would thought it would look. What if he got it wrong? What if John failed to live up to God's call for his life to prepare the way for the Messiah? I mean, what if this imprisonment is God punishing John? And I'm sure that it felt as if God had left him. And I'm sure, man, I just pictured John just like sitting in that prison cell and just trying to like play back in his mind, just try to remember that feeling when he knew who Jesus was and he was so sure, just remember any prophecy or sign or anything that he saw just to get back to that place when he believed. But John's not thinking straight and he can't find any comfort or peace. And so he's got these doubts buzzing around in his brain the way that flies buzz in front of your face. And you know, I, I think being imprisoned, eventually even executed for the sake of righteousness and justice, I actually, I think John could bear that. I think he could handle that. I think what John couldn't handle was the thought that he might have been wrong about Jesus. You know, his one task was to prepare the way for the Lord, and if he had gotten that wrong, his ministry, his entire life was a waste. I mean, have you ever been so sure that it's all true? Like this God thing, this Jesus thing, have you ever been so sure that it's all true? Like, have you ever been so on fire for God, you felt him so close that like nothing else matters? Have you ever felt like you'd seen Jesus so clearly and so intimately that that love and peace and strength and hope is like bubbling out of you? It's like radiating from you because Jesus is so good. Have you ever felt like with Jesus that you found something so amazing and groundbreaking and life-shattering that like you just have to tell someone about it because this changed me. This changed who I am. This brought me life. Have you ever been that sure? Only to get completely derailed. I mean, if you, if you have anxiety like me, then maybe you feel a little bit of fear like I do every time someone in your family calls because you understand that one phone call can derail your whole life. One diagnosis, one job loss, one betrayal, one abuse, one death, one moment. I mean, life happens. Even if it isn't a major tragedy, sometimes it's just the mundane day-to-day, right? Just the state of the world, it just like chips away at you until it feels like you just got nothing left. And I think it's entirely possible that sometimes the things that you used to be so sure about, the faith inside you that was once so unshakable and so fiery and so uncontrollable, I think it's entirely possible that that's just like that starts to slip through your hands like sand, no matter how much you try to hold on to it. You get to a place where you don't even know who you are anymore and you don't know what you believe. This is John the Baptist in prison. And you know, and if John is questioning 
and he's the greatest human ever, then where's the hope for the rest of us? But you see, I think what makes John great, I think what makes John great is that in his brokenness, he doesn't turn to himself. No. Not even in prison, even in his doubt, John still turns to Jesus. He sends his messengers to Jesus because he understands that in his mess, he needs to hear from Jesus. Because even with his doubts, I believe that in John there remained this deep, unshakable trust in Jesus. Jesus will tell me the truth. Jesus will make it make sense. I just need to hear from him again. And so he sends his messengers with a message to Jesus that is honestly, it sounds a lot like a prayer that I pray every single day, a prayer that says, Jesus, please remind me who you are again. Jesus, please remind me who you are again. And do you know why I pray this every single day? Because even as a pastor, even as a Christian who's been at it for a long time, I still lose sight of that every single day. And I am so sick and tired of Christians feeling like we need to pretend like we don't struggle. And I'm so sick and tired of Christians feeling like we have to pretend that life doesn't just hurt sometimes. You know who can relate to that? You know who can relate to life never being hard and never having any any struggles? Nobody. Nobody can relate to that. And so I don't know why we feel the need to pretend. And why can't we just be honest? I mean, what would it look like to be a community of people who just admit that we're completely messed up and we rarely get it right and we doubt and we hurt and we struggle and we fight against ourselves and life happens and we can't control it? That we have in common with the world. But the thing that separates us is when we look at Jesus, He just makes it all make sense. He delivers hope and peace. And He recenters us. So the thing that makes us different than the rest of the world is not that we don't struggle and hurt and doubt and all these other things. The thing that looks different for us is the place that we look. And the place that we look is Jesus. And He delivers time and time again. He makes it all make sense. And so this is the message that Jesus sends back to John through his messengers. And and just understand this. John, or Jesus doesn't break John the Baptist out of prison. He doesn't. He doesn't change John's circumstances. John will remain in prison up until the day he was executed. So Jesus understands that it's not a change in circumstance that John needs. It is simply a reminder about who Jesus is. And I wonder sometimes if it's not a change in circumstance that we need, but simply a reminder about who Jesus is. And this is the message that Jesus sends back to John. It says, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, 
and the poor have good news preached to them. Take that back to John. You see, John spent his entire life pointing other people to Jesus. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus' parting words to John did what? Pointed him back to Jesus. Jesus did for John what John had been doing for everyone else. Jesus is telling John, John, I am who I say I am. I'm God. And everything is about to change, John. Because your entire life, you've been announcing that the king is coming. The king is coming. Well, guess what, John? I have amazing news for you. The king is here now. And we don't get to see John the Baptist's response to Jesus' message. It's not recorded because John is not the main character. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you've had those clarifying moments, if even just for a moment you get that moment where Jesus makes himself known to you, where you get this passing glance of the Savior, you get a moment with him, then you already know what John's response was. Because when you come face to face with the reality of who King Jesus is, you can't do anything but praise him and worship him and celebrate because he's that good. And so I am supremely confident that this is how John the Baptist responded when he received Jesus' message, even in prison. Even when he was hurting, even in his doubt that when he got that reminder of who Jesus was, I am so sure that he was overwhelmed with that peace and joy and hope again because that's what Jesus does. And just to clarify about JTB, it wasn't John's boldness that made him great. And it wasn't his passionate speeches, even though I'm sure they were great. It wasn't his ministry. It wasn't the thousands of people that he reached. It wasn't his skill set. It wasn't even his contribution to the kingdom. Now, the thing that made John the Baptist greater than any other human was that more than any other human, Jesus was enough. For John the Baptist. Jesus was enough. What a crazy thought that Jesus is enough. And for John, Jesus is enough more than his reputation, more than any blessings, more than the outcome, more than his life. Jesus was enough for John. And if true greatness is understanding that Jesus is enough, if that's the mark of true greatness, to understand that Jesus is enough, then how great are you? You know, maybe you're here and you're just exploring faith and this is all new to you, but like this thing that John has found in Jesus, and it just sounds like something you really need in your life. Like that peace and that confidence and that hope. Like, I need that. Now maybe that's you. Or maybe you're here and you've, you're a believer, but you've just, you've recently maybe found yourself on the wrong end of one of those phone calls or those life situations. Or maybe you've just drifted and you feel far from God and you just really need to sit and lean into that prayer of Jesus, please remind me who you are again. Either way, I'm going to encourage you to sit and just pray on your own and just wrestle with this question of is 
Jesus enough? Is he enough for me? And when you finished, we'll have communion available, these tables. You get a stack of the cups with the bread and the juice that remind us of Jesus' sacrifice, his body and blood that was broken and spilled for us. And all I'm going to say about it is we're sitting here trying to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. We understand that that's the purpose. Well, taking communion is exactly for that purpose. It's to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. He is a Savior who would stop at nothing, even laying down his own life, even conquering death to deliver us from our sin and our doubt and our brokenness. It's a reminder that no matter what, Jesus is enough. Jesus is greater. That the King is here now. Let's pray. Jesus, you are great. You have the words of life. You produce in us a spring of living water. You satisfy our souls. And all we have to do is look at you. You say your yoke is easy, your burden is light. We don't have to try to be somebody. We don't have to try to be great. We don't have to try to do anything. But if we can just look at you, if we can just start to peel back the layers of who you are and lean into your amazing wonder and your power and your beauty and your splendor, if we can just focus on you, Jesus, you will make it all make sense. You will fill us up. You will give us new life. You will give us healing and redemption, salvation. You are great. Uh, my prayers for every person in this place. If they're sitting here and they're praying and they're seeking after you, if they're praying that you reveal yourself to them, God, I pray that you're, you're true to your word, you're true in the promises of Scripture that say if we seek after you, that we will find you. That is my prayer for every person in this place, my prayer for myself, that when we seek after you, that you meet us there in our brokenness, in our mess, that you show up right on time exactly as we need and just remind us who you are because who you are is enough. Jesus, you are so good. What you give to us, we can find nowhere else in the world, and we don't want to go anywhere else in the world. We want to chase after you. We want to bow down at your feet. You are the king of kings. We love you so much. Thank you for what you've done for us when we don't deserve it. We pray in your name and your name alone. Amen.